You're listening to Mornings with Eric and Bridget on Moody Radio 89.3. Sarah Zagorski is sharing her story with us today on 89.3 of how she was rescued from abortion. And today she is a wife, a mother, an advocate for life, passionate about this issue because of what she believes, but also because of what she has lived. Sarah, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Absolutely. Happy to be with y'all today. Your story was part of this book, Choose Life, and you start that story in the book um, on the abortion table, not as the one getting the procedure, but as the baby. Tell us about your start of life. Tell us about this story. Absolutely. So, you know, my birth mother was a Honduran immigrant. She came to America on a boat as a teenager. She had a very difficult childhood and then that followed up with a very difficult life after that. She um, had seven children um, prior to her pregnancy with me, and they were all in and out of foster care at the time. And she actually was also post-abortive, which I'm not sure if I mentioned in the book, but she had two previous abortions in her past. Uh, So abortion was something she was familiar with. Um, And she was referred to a chief physician in New Orleans and his Dr. Akpalavi, who he often catered to poor minority women. Um, And that's common in the abortion industry. Um, So she went to him with me and um, she went through what's called an induction abortion, the beginning of an induction abortion procedure. Um, And he delivered me at 26 and a half weeks. I was breached when I was born and I wasn't breathing. And then he went on to tell her that I would be a mental vegetable and capable of having a normal life. Thankfully, though, um, in those few minutes of seeing my life literally in her hands, in a sense, you can say she fought for my life and threatened him with a lawsuit. A lot of people um, wonder why that was persuasive in my case. But I came to find out later in life that Dr. Akpalabi, the abortion physician handling my case, was under medical review by Louisiana's medical board in 1989. And um, he had been sued previously, and he didn't want to be sued again, which is why I believe is the only reason he then sent me to Children's Hospital in New Orleans, where I did recover and survive. Mm. Sarah, it, it's really an incredible beginning to life. And your mom, obviously, being in a precarious situation, went to there thinking, this will make it all better. I mean, she obviously yeah. went there with yeah. the intention of ending this, what she figured was a problem. Why do you think she changed her mind in that moment, though? You see, I think because like most post-abortive women and most women who choose abortion, you know, the data shows that over 60 percent of women who choose abortions choose it because of people who are coercing them into the abortion decision. I don't believe she truly wanted to end the life of my life or the her previous abortions. I felt she felt she had no choice, which is really interesting, right, because the pro-choice movement, they champion choice all the time, yet it often has very little to do with choice. This is a woman who had no money, no social status. Um, She was um, economically poor, meaning she lived below the federal poverty level for the majority of her life. Uh, And she felt she was in a corner. And then but then because of her post-abortion regrets in the past, she decided to choose life in my case, which, you know, I think I write about this in the book. But what really matters to me, you know, I took me a long time to forgive her for many, many things, not just that, but many things throughout my life. Um, In the end, she made the right decision. And I pray that if I were ever in the same situation, I would have that kind of bravery. I'd have that kind of courage. Mm. How'd you find out about all of this? This is something that could have been hidden, I guess, but how'd you find out about this whole story? She told me, 
She told me herself. And then, you know, I think at the time I was too young to really comprehend because um, I was I spent almost eight years in foster care. So I was in and out of her, her physical custody um, for the first nine years of my life. Um, you know, she wanted to emphasize, though, that she did love me and she regretted that what brought her to that decision. Um, but even still, you know, the wounds of that were really hard to recover from. Um, it, it just, it's something that's so traumatic and so hard for a child to understand. But as I grew older and went through some, you know, real life myself and suffering myself, I began to understand kind of the mind and the trauma and the things, um, what I call abortion vulnerable women go through. And that's definitely something that's helped me have more compassion on her. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Sarah Zakorski, her incredible life story, and some of it is penned in the book Choose Life, which has a number of chapters taking a look at this issue of life from different perspectives. And you really talk with compassion, Sarah. You're today a pro-life advocate. You are with Louisiana Right to Life. It's an issue that you're passionate about, but you do come at it with a place of compassion, which with your own story isn't like the likely outcome. How did you work through your feelings with uh, your mother, your birth mother? I, you know, I think it was just age and time. Um, you know, I, she passed away in 2010, uh, very tragically, very suddenly. And that was something that was really hard for me. I was actually at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago when she passed away. Um, and I came back home and um, dealt with her funeral arrangements and stuff like that. But she, um, you know, at that time, I really might hope for my relationship with her would be one where I could one day take care of her. You know, that was my hope. And I had to grieve that loss that I'm never going to be able to do that because she's gone. And also, I really struggled with my relationship with God at that time because I, I kind of saw it then as, what was the point of her life? In a sense, because there was no, nothing redemptive, nothing, um, there was no like good end. You know, she, her whole life was filled with pain. Um, but it was coming into really realizing that I was a victim in her house. I had been victimized by people in her house, but also realizing, you know what though, she was a victim too. And that kind of commonality between us brought me to a place of compassion because I saw trauma and pain leads people to do things they'd never consider normally under normal conditions. And that doesn't make it okay. It never justifies abortion, right? Like that's something I'm really strong about. Like all this stuff I'm saying, I say it while also saying abortion always every single time ends the life of the most vulnerable person. Mm. But I still can look at a woman who's done that and also a woman who is considering that and say, you know what, what's it like to be in those shoes, though? What would Jesus, how would Jesus walk with a woman like that? And that's, that's the person I strive to be, is someone who would walk with someone going through something like that. You know, the word compassion has been used over and over in this conversation. Uh, many say it's compassionate not to bring that child into the world just because there's so much suffering that that child's going to have to deal yeah, with. What do you say that all what, the time. What do you, mm-hmm. see, what do you say to that? Yeah, that's something I hear all the time in the pro-life movement. You know, it's just such a common argument for abortion. You know, I would say that, first of all, and that's what, you know, in my case, I'm sure the abortion physician believed, or at least in a twisted way, believed that he was helping these women because they couldn't care for these kids. These kids would go on to live lives of suffering, which I did do. Um, But see, the, the, the faulty logic and the faulty conclusion that abortionists came to is that he had some kind of qualification to make life and death determinations about my life and then also about my future. And that's something that the abortion movement does all the time. They say that these lives, like in a sense, if you're destined to suffer, you're destined to die. And it's not just in cases like mine. It's in cases where children have, you know, fetal abnormalities 
or Down syndrome or whatever it might be. It's like kind of like throwaway culture. Like if a child's going to suffer at all, then their life isn't still intrinsically valuable, which is, of course, not the message of the gospel, right? It, uh, the message of the gospel is that, you know, every life is intrinsically valuable um, from womb to tomb. So that's my response to that is just because I suffered throughout my childhood and later in life because of that trauma, it doesn't mean my life isn't valuable or worth living anymore. Well, all life is filled with some kind of suffering. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> without suffering, right. we're not human. So, I mean, how much suffering do you consider death worthy is the, kind of the question. It's it's almost a ridiculous argument, isn't it? It's a faulty, yeah, it's a faulty metric to determining human value because and it's really, um, it really leads us in really dark places because once you start making those kind of determinations, where does that determination, like, where does that end, right? Like, mm. that's a very slippery slope. And we get criticism all the time for, oh, pro-lifers have such a slippery slope about everything. But, you know, I was just in D.C. and I'm in D.C. right now, actually. Um, and you see in Congress, we can't even pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which would essentially require a medical physician to, and in in these cases, an abortion physician, to provide medical care to an infant who's been born alive after a botched abortion. So we're talking about infanticide at this point. So I I give myself some time to accept that the slippery slope I'm talking about is valid because these are babies that have been born, that we have a hard time passing legislation to protect them. So I just think that metric at at all um, has led society down a really dark path. Yeah. Well, in the book, you also mentioned the book was published just months before the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You mentioned that you look forward to the day when it actually is overturned. So now that it has been, what was your response then and what's your response now about the next steps in the pro-life movement? Oh, my goodness. I think there's so much work to be done. You know, I think that we have made great strides. You know, I live, um, I'm located, my hometown is in New Orleans, Louisiana, and um, we're very fortunate in Louisiana. We have really um, solid pro-life laws there. So currently all elective abortions and the majority of cases are um, are not happening there. But that's not the case in a lot of states like California, like Washington, D.C., like Colorado. Um, in, in some states, it's almost easier now than ever to get an abortion because of the new FDA regulations. I don't know if y'all have seen that with some um, Walgreens and CVS allowing chemical abortions to be dispensed from their um, pharmacies. So I think there's a lot of work to be done across the nation. And in Louisiana specifically, we're trying to keep our pro-life laws because a lot of people don't think, they think that now Rose overturned this, this fight's over. Well, no, on one hand, we have to work really hard to maintain our pro-life laws. But also on another hand, we have to figure out better and more creative ways to help women like my mom. Because for example, in Louisiana, there's still over, each year there's 7,000 abortions a year. Those women are going to go somewhere else or they're going to buy abortion pills online. And it's going to actually, in some ways, we're going to see more and more stories of women going through abortion trauma because they're not even under the care of a physician anymore. They're just taking these pills at home in desperate attempts to find a quote unquote solution. So there's so much work, I think, ahead for the pro-life movement. You know, what can one of our friends do today? The March for Life is happening. You know, I can't make it to D.C., but you know what? What does it mean to be pro-life day to day? What can I do today to champion that? Yes, there's so many practical ways. Um, I think sidewalk advocacy is a big one. Peaceful 
prayerful sidewalk advocacy outside of abortion facilities. If you're in a state that still has abortion facilities, I think connecting with a right to life chapter or group in your in your state like Florida Right to Life in Louisiana, it's Louisiana Right to Life. Every every state has a right to life chapter or connecting with students for life if you're a student. Um, there's a lot of great pro life organizations that have like they do constant mobilization of grassroots efforts. Those are big things. And I have a lot to say about that grassroots stuff because growing up, I saw the impact of sidewalk counselors, of people who are at the abortion clinic praying and, and reaching, trying to reach those women like in real time, right? Um, you know, my work is more educational and policy work. And like right now I'm in D.C. at the March for Life. And, you're, and it's, ama- it's an amazing experience if someone hasn't gone. So I encourage everybody to go at some point in their life. Um, but those are just some practical things that I think you can do that that you can get connected like right now. Another thing too, getting involved in helping maternity homes grow and pregnancy centers. Like these are things that are more critical than ever before because of Rose reversal. Like women, I think are going to be flooding these places, even looking for abortion, not realizing abortion maybe in their state isn't allowed anymore. Well, there is so much that you do to champion this cause, and we can find out more at your website, but also the book Choose Life, Answering Key Claims of Abortion Defenders with Compassion. We've got them both linked at ericandbridget.org. 